question the voices arise and I hear Plastics is an SP sponsored podcast. Hi, yes. Sparkle Queen. Well, hello. Yeah, I just got off um, presenting the uh, global material and finish forecast. So I had to really, um, really think about my wardrobe in advance. So uh, went for that reflective, sparkly look. So if anyone is just going audio right now, Mercedes is in probably the piece of clothing I admire the most out of her wardrobe. And it is a sparkly bomber jacket with a zipper and i will steal it one day and wear it every day to mock her um <laughs> out of jealousy <laughs> so, it's beautiful i love it jealousy mock i mean that's that's like basic and jealousy admiration mock i think is is sums up our relationship pretty well it's what we do best yeah. <laughs> so uh i am mercedes landazari and i'm Lindsay neville and with our powers combined we are Plastics, the voices of resin, and we are here not by ourselves. Not that we ever are by ourselves, but we are here with an awesome guest today. Yes, we are. Um, <laughs> her name is uh, Sarah Weber, and she is sustainable packaging engineer at Plastic Ingenuity. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Well, as we mentioned um, a little bit earlier, we have a mutual friend in common, which I mean, I guess the plastics industry, it's kind of like we all have mutual friends in common, but you are good pals with our favorite Irishman, Connor Carlin. Sorry to all the other Irishmen out there. All of our family members, Lindsay, be careful there. <laughs> it's fine. And so, you know, he messaged me and he said, you you have to talk to Sarah. I think it's going to be a really great podcast. I said, I don't trust you. You're a very grumpy old man. And he said, no, I promise you this will be a good episode. So we're putting all the pressure on Connor. So nobody else has to worry. This is a Connor sponsored episode. Don't, I don't trust him at all. That's and I, <laughs> I don't have his book right in front of me right now. Either. Yes. So. <laughs> very untrustworthy source. He's only used resources for everything. Um, and president elect of SP right now. So we're very excited to have you on here due to personal recommendations. We were out to lunch and I had mentioned your podcast just <laughs> as a one-off thing. Didn't know that he had a connection with you two. And he's like, I know the host. I can get you on there. I was fangirling. <laughs> oh, so I didn't actually pan out to be a guest on your podcast, but here we are. Oh, That's so now so technically cool. he owes us a favor. Yeah. That's all but I need to know. It's so cool, you know, as, as we've been doing this podcast for, for a few years now, it's been so, I mean, because we definitely fangirl over pretty much everybody we have on this show. And 100%. it's really cool to now have people starting to, you know, to, to reciprocate that, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're so, definitely here for it. <laughs> so tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you are so cool that you were brought up as a potential guest. <laughs> Oh, that's not a hard, that's not a hard lead-in question. I'll talk to you so cool. <laughs> well, I try to be, I try to be as cool as I can, but most people just call me a packaging nerd. Um, but in this industry, we're all the same, right? So um, I am a sustainable packaging engineer at Plastic Ingenuity. Plastic Ingenuity is a custom thermoformer. We're headquartered just outside of Madison, Wisconsin. And my role is very unique in the sense that I'm the first person to do it. Our sustainability department is very new. It started in 2021. 
Uh, my boss, Zach Moscato, is the corporate sustainability manager. He started this department, realizes that we need a person devoted to packaging sustainability at our company. He plucked me right out of college. So here I am. I got my degree in packaging engineering at UW Stout, just a couple hours north um, in Wisconsin. And so that's kind of my journey of getting here. My background in packaging spans back to my high school days, which is kind of interesting in the sense that most people fall into packaging later on in their career. And they start with something else, whether it be mechanical engineering, graphic design, and they just make their way into packaging. But this was a degree that I really wanted to pursue when I was a sophomore or junior in high school, which is really interesting. Wow. So how did you how did you get into it? You know, that right. I didn't I wasn't thinking about packaging at all I, or manufacturing in those years. How did I you love that? Because I feel like in general, you have people that go into plastics engineering and you usually fall into that from like mechanical engineering or something else. So I was one of the the weird nerds that went straight to plastics. So I really appreciate someone that got in that lane right away. Yeah, my my story is really interesting in the sense that I loved every single math and science class that I possibly could in high school. And I wanted to go into engineering, but I didn't want to do something that was boring. So I didn't, I didn't want to do mechanical engineering to, to me, that was boring manufacturing civil. I was, that was just not it. Um, and I had this really artistic side of myself as well. I took a lot of painting classics. I love ceramics. I wanted to merge those two together and I wasn't really finding a career path that I was able to do both of those things until I found packaging. Um, it was a really weird one-off applied engineering class where we made a Kleenex box um, with a laser engraver. We cut out a Kleenex box and I said, wow, that was really cool. I really liked that project a lot, but whatever, I guess I'll just move on to doing more, you know, SolidWorks designs, you know, that was kind of it. And I didn't realize that there was actually a career behind it. My teacher stopped me and he said, hey, Sarah, like, hold on, hold on you were really good at that. You seem to really enjoy it. Did you know that there is a career in this, that you could pursue this? I said, no, he was an alum of UW Stout. He went for technology education. He knew of the packaging program there. Um, and the rest was history. We set up a tour to go see the packaging lab. I met with the program directors. I spent the whole day on campus. I fell in love with the industry right then and there. And I declared my major a few months later. I only applied to UW Stout because that was the only thing I wanted to do was packaging. Wow. And uh, here I am, you know, six years later, actually doing what I set out to do. Um, I'm a I'm a real engineer now. I'm an adult. So yeah, that's <laughs> kind of how kind of how I fell into it. But yeah, are we are we the same person? Because I feel like that's very. I mean. I don't have the artistic side. That's not me. I'm that's, all that's, that's yes. Lindsay and but, I aren't the same person. So that, yeah, no, I together we combine to be the same. We are combined to be you. Um, but that's, that's <laughs> the same thing I did. And I think that highlights a really, you know, important piece that the industry is missing is a lot of people don't know that these are opportunities and these are career choices you can make because I loved, I had like a class and we did cool like plastic stuff in high school. And I had no idea you could be a plastics engineer until it was pointed out to me. And it was like, oh, well, I would have skipped right over that. <laughs> right, right. And I didn't know, I didn't know it existed at all until it was right in front of my face. Mm -hmm. um, so every chance that I could get 
when I was going through my degree at UW-Stout, I would put it in, in front of other people's faces, you know? So I was a tour guide for the university for four years. Um, and I would plug the packaging program as much as I possibly could. Um, wow. So you were a tour guide, just like even in your freshman year. Yeah, I started the spring wow. semester of my freshman year as a tour guide and I did it for four years until I graduated. Yeah, it was the best job ever. Um, I loved it so much. It was just really fun to be in front of, you know, high school students that are so eager to get to college. They're so excited. They're going to tackle the world. Um, and it was just so fun to like harvest that energy. Um, and then be able to kind of help them create this decision-making process of what major they wanted to go into. It was just very exciting at all times. It was a happy environment to be in. Um, and then, yeah, whenever I could, if I thought someone would be a really good fit for packaging or plastics engineering, which is another program that was kind of overlooked at UW-Stout as well, I would try to you know, push people towards that to at least check it out. And the coolest experience is that a girl who I gave a tour to like over three years ago, is now a junior in the packaging program at UW Stout starting this fall. And oh, I love that. I mean, she's a mentee of mine and she's starting her first internship. And yeah, it's just a very exciting and fulfilling experience that I had there. Um, and someone did that with me. And so I'm just trying to give back as much as I can. I try to be that proud That's alum. So. That's amazing, and you're and you're such a recent graduate too. It's it's amazing to hear you talk about having mentees. This is this is wonderful. This is what it's all about. So, do you, I want to know? Do you still have that first project, that Kleenex box design? I do have it. Yes, <laughs> we love a good memento. Um, I'm a very like sentimental person, and I like to keep my little knickknacks. So, in that moment, I did keep the Kleenex box. It was a little house that had a chimney where you could pull the Kleenex out of it. So it was kind of like a graphic design thing and an engineering thing. And anyways, I kept it for old time's sake, just because that's what sparked my interest. In Listen, so, I have a, I have a uh, green ABS purge that looked like an angel one time. And I was like, <laughs> I'm keeping this. And one time we were moving, my husband's like, the hell is this? I'm like, it is my purge angel. You do not touch <laughs> that. That stays with us forever. It's in the basement somewhere, but still, it stays with us forever. <laughs> it, needs to, it needs to stay. Yeah, it's a keeper. Yeah. Oh, so, my gosh. So yeah. let's talk about packaging more. Why Why should packaging be taken seriously? And, and why should there specifically be these, these packaging undergraduate programs rather, rather than an afterthought? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And obviously, since I love this industry so much, I'm going to say it's it's mandatory that we have packaging engineers that are technically trained um, just for job security sake. Um, <laughs> but really, in the sense of it, it's such a complex industry um, and it takes very highly technically trained individuals to do this job well. And, you know, I was very grateful in the sense that I have a degree specifically devoted to packaging. Um, not to say that people who fall into it later, you know, there's people that are mechanical engineers that are graphic designers that come into being a packaging engineer, but there's something to be said about the industry as a whole that we need people devoted to packaging. So in my mind, it helps us to be more sustainable, right? Because that's kind of the world that I live in right now in this role. So I'm thinking about sustainability all the time. If we don't have technically trained individuals in packaging, then there's a really high chance of things being over-engineered. There's a high chance of failure with your products. There's damages that'll happen. So really when the rubber meets the road, we really need packaging engineers to make the world go around because if there weren't any of us, 
none of these products would arrive safely to consumers, to hospitals, um, all around the world. So I like to say that we make the world go round, but maybe I'm a little biased. <laughs> well, and I like that, you know, you got your training at a school that's also offering plastics engineering uh, with one of our favorite and I think that's one of those things that there's a point where you should be talking about the packaging earlier than I think most people consider packaging. I think most people are like, ah, box and slap some stuff in and everybody's happy. I mean, <laughs> I feel like that's probably the Amazon approach, but I don't want to anger our Amazon overlords because I do order a lot of stuff from Amazon. <laughs> yeah, definitely got to tread lightly there. So, you know, is there is there a point in the design process where you should really be talking to uh, a packaging engineer as opposed to at the end? Yeah. So um, in my short career, you know, I had had internships and co-ops and all that stuff leading up until this full time job. But what I've found is most packaging engineers or packaging departments as a whole get pulled into projects at the 11th hour. And then we have to to save the day and we have to pull these things together very last minute. And what I found is most of the time we're versatile enough in our industry that we can make it happen, which is a really strong um, suit that a lot of packaging engineers have. But I think in the ideal situation, packaging engineers should be included from day one of the concepts Um, that would, you know, in a perfect world, if I could wave my magic wand and that's how it would be. Yeah, I'd want to be in those conversations and sitting at that table from the beginning. But in reality, the best place for me and what I've what I've found works the best is when we're brought in when the design is frozen, but not ready to launch. So we can design our package when the product is frozen. There's no more changes that are going to occur. We can design it as precise as we need it to be. We don't have to over engineer anything. We have adequate amount of time um, to design that, you know, optimized package. So that's not always the case, but in a perfect world, it would be at a design freeze, technically, <laughs> where we would be included in the conversation. And do you think the desire for most companies and most people to want to have sustainable packaging, do you think that adds another element of time that people need to concern themselves with? Or, you know, are you guys kind of learning how to adjust the sustainability into it from the get-go. Yeah, um, that's that's basically what my job entails, is taking products that, well, right now, I mean, I've only been at Plastic Ingenuity for eight months, so I'm basically taking products that are already launched and trying to change them in a way to make them more sustainable. But we would try to be involved in those conversations from the beginning. So say a company has a corporate sustainability goal that they want to reduce their carbon emissions by, you know, 30% by 2025 or 2030 or whatever. Packaging is a great way to start on that journey, um, especially when you can add recycled materials to your products, that you can down gauge your products that would reduce your carbon emissions by a long, like a long slide. So, you know, that's the type of thing that I think packaging engineers need to be in the conversation earlier from a sustainability perspective, because once a design is made for a package, it's a lot harder to then add sustainable components to it later when it's already made. 
Um, so new product development process with sustainability is, is the best way to go, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily a sustaining environment. So how do you how do you deal with um, some of the misconceptions around uh, both maybe from from some of the companies you work with and from certainly from from a lot of consumers um, that they're getting input um, you know, and directives from uh, in, in some way or another. How do you deal with some of the misconceptions um, out there about not just about plastics, but but deciding what is the right material? How do you guide um, brands and designers to the most sustainable choice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, what I like to tell a lot of people is that I'm pro-plastic, but I'm anti-plastic waste. So I am a huge proponent of plastic. Obviously, plastic ingenuity, all we do is plastic thermoforms. So I am a proponent of this and I believe in it. Um, I would say to people that are consumers is to believe in recycling. First and foremost, recycling works when it is done in practice. Um, And the more that we recycle, the more volumes that we'll have to recirculate these back into our packaging products and truly drive a circular economy. So for consumers, it's really buying into recycling and educating them to, you know, put that thermoform in their curbside recycling bin. For companies, I would say that sustainability is more than meets the eye, right? So it's not just about, you know, adding recycled content. It could be down-gaging, it could be changing your materials. And with plastics especially, your carbon emissions are going to be a lot lower if you use plastics versus, you know, a glass or aluminum or whatever. Um, you really have to weigh all of your options there. But the packaging engineer, the true packaging engineer in me, is if I find that a plastic application isn't the best option for our customer and say a paper-based option is better for them and it's more sustainable, like, I have to stay true to myself in that regard and say, yeah, that is the better option for you. And I know this is a business world, and that's really hard for me. I'm not a salesperson. And I'm really glad that I'm working in the sustainability realm because I would I would straight up tell them, this paper-based option is better for you, and you should go that route over this plastic option. It has lower carbon emissions. It has, you know, your light weighting, so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a hard battle that I play um, because I always want to be a proponent of plastic, but if there's an option that's better... I'm going to tell people that. Well, and I think yeah. I think you need that level of transparency because I think with the recycling alone, you know, people aren't believing it because they feel like they've been lied to for so long. Mm-hmm. So to, you know, to start hearing, yeah, there's times where there are other better choices than plastics. I think, I mean, yes, we're talking to the company, so it's a little bit different, but I think there's, you know, I think that helps earn some trust back in the fact mm-hmm. that, yeah, obviously... I hate to break it to you, plastic is going to be one of your better options most of the time. But here you go. Here's this situation where it's where it's not mm-hmm. right. And I try to be I try to be data driven as much as I can. Um, Always helpful <laughs> you know, in the sense of like a life cycle assessment, where you can truly look at the carbon emissions of one product that's plastic or one that is a paper based. If there is an option where you have lower carbon emissions and you're using a plastic product, I am going to recommend that to you. Because if your goals are aligned with reducing your carbon emissions and the plastic option gives you that, then that's just that just is data driven. It makes sense in, that, in my mind. And that's what I try to relay to a lot of the companies that I discuss this with. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I have to say, coming from, you know, I've, I've had, I've had, you know, some quite a, quite a background in sales as well. And I have to say that that I really feel is the strongest approach when people are, are newer in sales, they try to get every yes they can and try to convince a customer why this solution is, is specifically the best, but it's much better to, to um, take that truly transparent and consultative approach where you're, where you're saying, Hey, customer, this, this option is, is one option for you, but this one might be better. We don't provide that solution, but I want you to know about this as well. And they'll come back to you and work with you on another project because they trust you, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things we were kind of talking about ahead of time was the fact that the packaging industry and specifically like sustainable packaging industry is starting to become kind of a trendy industry. Um, So cool right now. It's so hot. It's almost as good as Mercedes jacket. Um, (laughs) What do you think it is about, you know, packaging and specifically sustainability and packaging that's starting to attract a lot more women and young engineers? Yeah. I mean, I can really only speak for myself, but I am a 23 year old packaging engineer (laughs) that's sustainability. So obviously it works for me. The trend is on par in my book. Um, in this sense, it feels like I have a fulfilling role, not only at my organization, but in the industry as a whole. And then just as a person living in this world, you know, like I am actually doing stuff that is beneficial to my organization. I'm providing benefits to my customers through sustainability. And then I'm also in part doing something that makes me feel good leaving work at the end of the day and seeing my products on the shelf and seeing that they can be recycled, you know? So in that regard, it's fulfilling for me to be involved in this industry. I think from the woman perspective, we want to be involved in these spaces. We want to be subject matter experts and a sustainability route is the way to do that. Um, It's becoming more and more popular for brands to jump on board with sustainability. And when it comes to, talking about life cycle assessments, carbon reductions, recycling, things like that, young engineers can be the subject matter experts in the room over people that have been in the industry for 40 years. And that's a really cool thing to provide a diverse perspective in the industry. And it's really refreshing to see. Um, So I'd say that's probably what the trend is mostly. Like we're allowed to be subject matter experts because we just learned this in school. We have a four-year degree and this is ingrained in our curriculum for four years straight. And I would say in that regard, we can be SMEs in in this space. Mm -hmm. I never thought about that. And I know a lot of, um, a lot of times, you know, the reports coming out from them, I don't know who them are, um, you know, say that a lot of younger professionals and Gen Z the most important thing in a career choice for them is something that matters and something that can make an impact on. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to see that when you're behind a desk doing SolidWorks all day or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that could be your passion, but do you see that impact right away? Not necessarily, or your bottom of the totem pole, but like to be a someone working on sustainability and, you know, like you said, having that fresh perspective on it, that's, <laughs> you're coming in hot with some, some new takes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so we don't, we don't talk a lot of thermoforming on this podcast and no, no disrespect, you know, um, uh, we, we personally we, have had a lot more experience with, with injection molding. And I, injection I think, molding is the best molding, but I will allow 
time for other processes. But I, I mean, even personally, I mean, I, I've I've been exposed to. I have you know some good exposure on on pretty much all forms of of. I mean, but but I would say thermoforming probably even less than compression molding, which is kind of weird. But <laughs> um, but can you tell us how thermoforming is is a great candidate? for creating circularity in parts? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, no offense taken on the thermoforming front. <laughs> uh, it's a very it's a very niche market. Obviously, I live in this world every single day. So I'm like, oh yeah, that's thermoform, that's thermoform, that's thermoform when I'm walking in a grocery store. But the process of thermoforming is a great candidate for circularity in the sense that we can, you know, pump out new tools, production ready tools, for sustainable products very quickly. Um, our tooling is lower cost than other options um, in the sense that, you know, if you want a really thin gauge material that you just punch out a bunch of clamshells and you want a really big tool that runs fast, thermoforming is a great candidate for that. Um, and we also do inline extrusion, especially, I mean, at, at Plastic Ingenuity, we do a lot of inline extrusion. So that makes our process more sustainable in the sense that you know, we're extruding material into a sheet in line with our thermoformer, we're trimming it, and you have a product at the end of your line all in one. Um, it, it makes it for a very seamless and sustainable process. Um, we also can embed a lot of, you know, recycle ready materials. We can do, you know, post consumer recycled pellet, we can do flake, um, we can do all that type of stuff within our thermoforming process. So we have a lot of material options that are sustainable as well. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, well, something that came up recently, um, one of these meetings that I was at, some of the MRFs uh, here in the United States, uh, seems like they're pushing back a little bit against thermoforms. Yeah, it seems like you're nodding good. I'm glad. They are like also on a disrespect train. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, actually, the one, the most recent one that we had on, Kate, you know, I know that her, her facility accepts thermoforms, but can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so... It's a very interesting environment. I've I've toured a few MRFs in my short tenure at Plastic Ingenuity, and it's very it's an eye-opening experience. And whoever's listening, if if you ever have the opportunity to visit a MRF, it's a wonderful experience. Um, it really opens your eyes to what happens to your package at a recycling facility. What you think is happening, I can assure you, is not what's happening at those places. They're highly automated. There's a lot going on. So much sorting. So much mm -hmm. sorting. Um, when it comes to thermoforms, though, especially PET thermoforms, they they want to separate thermoforms away from PET bottles. So they want PET bottle bills to not have a high percentage of thermoforms because that would lower the IV of the bale that is being purchased. That goes to a reclaimer, and then in part would have a lower IV when you purchase that flake or pellet back into your system. And the bottle manufacturers don't necessarily want a lower IV when they add recycled content back into their bottles. So it's a sticky wicket. <laughs> Obviously, working at Plastic Ingenuity, I want more thermoforms. We want more thermoforms to be recovered. Um, that's why we're involved in the Recycling Partnerships PET um, Material Coalition that is doing the best that they can to educate thermoforms being recycled and figuring out ways to you know, make thermoform-only bales. Um, and we will buy them back. Plastic Ingenuity, we want those thermoform-only bales. Um, but infrastructure needs to change at the MRF level and the reclaimer level as well to get to that point where we have enough thermoforms to make a whole bale, right? So, yeah, it's a very complicated environment. Um, 
And I totally understand those bottle those bottle manufacturers don't want a low IV on the flake that they buy back. I totally get it. Um, but you know, as a plastic manufacturer who makes thermoforms, we want them to be recovered in in high volume. So I don't know. We're working on it. We'll get there. But yeah. want, and I love the fact that you say, you know, we want them. We want to buy it back because because part of the the struggle, as I understand it, for Murphs is just having those markets. You know, having those avenues where they can you know, sell the, the material back into. That yeah, can be yeah. And that's, that's the thing with recycling is I get this question asked a lot. Is this product recyclable? And there's a lot of components that go into that. There has, it has to be in the right material. It has to be in the right shape. Um, it has to be able to like not have labels all over it so it can get scanned and sorted properly. But there also needs to be an end value market for that material as well. Right. So like you can't have, a bunch of PETG materials coming through. And technically, yeah, that can be recycled, but is it in practice? Is the infrastructure set up for that? No. So you have to have, there's a lot of caveats with recycling too. Like if there's not an end market, no, your package is not recyclable in my mind. It's not. Like technically, can it be chopped up and sorted? Sure. But no one's buying it, right? So Right. I feel like it's very chicken and the egg. You know, there's only so much you want to make out of a certain, you know, recycled material because you don't know how you can feed that back around. You don't know when you're going to get that material again. I know uh, one of my last companies, we did uh, a nylon PET and it was just so hard to get stock in on it. And, you know, if you can't get stock in, how are you making this product that's supposed to go out? every month you can't you struggle <laughs> so uh, yeah that's that's a very tricky tricky component there mm-hmm. so so what's one of the wildest packaging requests you've ever encountered uh, this is i feel like you have a really good story <laughs> well here's the thing i have to be very careful yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i have i've stories um even in my my short you know, in two years, basically in the industry since I started my internships. But the craziest moments are when a product manager or a customer or someone asks a packaging engineer, hey, can you do this outrageous thing and can you do it by next week? You know, that's, those are the types of questions that like we get asked. Um, I'm trying to think of a few options like, can this product be, you know, compostable and recyclable? Because we really want it to be both, because we have goals for both. No, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I and, and what happens is these wild requests. I always have to like bring people down to earth and say this is the realistic path that we can do for you, um, in in the best way possible. Um, yeah, so there's some outrageous stories in there, but mostly it involves people asking a packaging group to do something very last minute and that's basically impossible. So those are like the main moments where I get. I believe that. I feel like, I feel like people are always going to push timing no matter what end of the project they're on. (laughs) So. Yeah. And then it's always like, Oh, can you, can this be cost neutral as well? (laughs) I want it premium, uh, but cost neutral. Right. (laughs) Right. It's fine. Everything's fine. No issues. <laughs> you mentioned you're working on some pretty cool stuff right now. Um, can you tell us some of the projects you're working on? I know um, there's some certifications you guys are 
getting or doing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, that's been the main brunt of my workload since I started in January. Um, you know, I have a few customer projects here and there, but it takes time. As you all know, when you're starting on a new company, it takes some time to really like get knee deep into some projects. But um, when I started at PI, we were embarking on an ISCC plus certification, um, which we received earlier in the year. And that allows us to bring in advanced recycled materials through our system, which is really cool. Um, and so we've spent a lot of time. Sorry, can you, what, so I know ISCC is Inner Society Color Council, but I'm pretty sure that's not the ISCC you're referring to. <laughs> yeah, it's the International Sustainability and Carbon Certification. I think I have that right. Um, you might have to put it in your in your notes of this. Got it. <laughs> of this uh, podcast episode, but essentially ISCC is a carbon certification that allows you to have segregated bookkeeping through a mass balance calculation of bringing advanced recycled materials in your system and then having them, you know, book kept throughout. And then when you bring them to your customer, they can make a verifiable claim of the advanced recycled content that is in that product. So that's amazing because yeah, I mean, I think we all know there's just blatant greenwashing. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that's the, that's the main reason why a lot of people are jumping on board with ISCC plus is because it avoids that greenwashing altogether. It gives you a verifiable claim uh, that this much percent recycled content is in this package and you're supporting the circular economy. And this is verified throughout the system of when it starts at your resin manufacturer all the way through when it gets to the end of the line. So it really avoids that greenwashing and allows us to bring in advanced recycled materials and provide a sustainable solution to our customers that don't have the ability to put a recyclable structure out there. For example, our healthcare customers are very interested in advanced recycled materials um, that they can put into, say, their you know sterile barrier systems or PET tray, PETG trays that need to be sterilized. Um, so that's that's a really big thing for our healthcare business. So yeah, ISCC was first on Monday. We received our ISO fourteen thousand one certification, which is our environmental management system. So. We received that certification on Monday. It was a big celebration here. So we're very <laughs> happy to share that as well. And what does, um, and I know you guys, you know, you're talking about the um, certifications, but you also have been doing a lot with your bio-based polymers. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the projects you're doing with that? Yeah, we've been we've been getting a lot of requests from our customers with bio-based PET options. Um, so we've been trialing a lot of those options for our customers and seeing, you know, what trade-offs they can have with, you know, doing maybe 50% bio-based and then 50% recycled content. What does that get them from an LCA perspective to align with their goals? Um, so basically, it's a lot of trialing right now, um, but we do see that as a trend in our industry to have um, to move away from fossil fuels is to try to get into a bio-based option for some of our customers that are more on the cutting edge of the industry. So that was really exciting too. That's something that I only um, got embarked on, you know, a tiny bit while I was in school. Um, and so it's really, it's really cool to see um, that coming to full force in the industry right now. Absolutely, absolutely, very exciting time. It's great to hear that there's so much going on in the 
you know, the packaging world that is working towards sustainability. Cause I think as much as like the plastic product industry gets some of the flack, I think uh, the packaging industry is really sitting out there at the front of it, getting more of it. And so, you know, making those conscious choices and providing customers who don't know what they can do um, with an avenue to start moving in that direction, I think is a really big win for both our industries. Um, And, you know, it doesn't have to be (laughs) one or the other. I know. Yeah. And I think packaging gets a bad rap regarding like plastic use and sustainability and all that stuff. But it's really just because it's the first thing that meets the consumer's eye, you know, Um, and, and that's, that's okay. That's the industry that we're in. That's the industry that we chose and we're here. Um, but we can't simply sit, you know, behind our desks and not do anything for sustainability. It's, it's all in our power to, to make a change. And that's why I feel really empowered to be at a company like Plastic Ingenuity, where I can do this work every single day and help our customers reach their sustainability goals. Um, we have people that have, you know, targets for 2025 and 2030. And we have customers that don't even know how to define sustainability. And we're everywhere in between. And that's okay. Everyone's starting this journey. Um, and I'm just really happy to be in this space to, to make solutions for people. And where uh, where are people uh, maybe going to run into you next uh, or your colleagues at Plastics Engineering? Are you going to be at Pack Expo? I will be at Pack Expo. Um, we will Is have it like Disneyland there. for you? <laughs> Is it like Disneyland for you going to Pack Expo? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm such a nerd. I love Pack Expo. I love these trade shows. Um, I'm just a kid in a candy store at these things. Um, but yeah, we will be there. I'll be there attending some some sessions as well as hanging out at the booth. Um, and then our team will also be at the SBC conference in a few weeks too. So um, we will be there the as sustainable well. Sustainable Packaging Coalition? Yeah. Uh-huh. Awesome. Well, Sarah, I think we're just about out of time, but um, it's been awesome having you um, be our guest. I guess we will give uh, Connor some credit here. Um, or no, we still need him to owe us a favor. So we right. won't give him credit yeah, we'll yet. Yeah, we'll do that first and then we'll give him credit. Yeah, yeah. then, we, then we'll go into it. Um, but we appreciate you being on here and um, we really love to see this type of, you know, position being created in the industry and um, the stuff you guys are doing to make packaging more sustainable. Yeah, me too. Happy to be here. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Yep. Thanks, sir. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Plastics. New episodes appear on the first Friday of every month. So either follow or subscribe to get those new episodes ASAP. Plastics, the Voices of Resin is a plastics podcast sponsored by SPE, inspiring plastics professionals. If you want to find out more about SPE, please visit for, like the number, spe.org. Oh, plastics.